Hey everyone, Erica Becker, your host of the GC360 podcast, where we talk about pretty much everything and we have some of the most interesting guests in Garden City. And today I'm really excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about mental health and it's very important and prevalent right now. So we are really, really lucky to have on the show today, Canald Bernard. He's a licensed therapist and he's also a published author, which is really cool. So Canald, thank you so much for being on the show today and taking time out of your day to come. Thank you, Erica, for having me here today. Yeah, we're really excited. So to start off, let's get right into how did you get into therapy? What made you want to become a therapist? Um, well, getting into therapy uh, kind of, I wouldn't say I fell into it by accident, but <laughs> it happened organically. Mm. Um, so I, you know, when it comes to like being a young man, we always like hang out in groups and things of that nature. So it's very popular that they talk about, uh, you know, hanging out at the barbershop and talking with each other. So we used to hang out, whether it's someone's steps, you know, the barbershop, the park, things of that nature. And I've always been the type of person who would be facilitating conversations in there, in those environments, um, helping um, people kind of extract ideas from them. Um, and a lot of my friends, you say, man, that was an interesting question. Like, why would you ask me that? Because you know, I would ask a lot of open-ended <laughs> questions because I always wanted to know more about whether it was a person or, you know, a topic. So, you know, when I was in school, um, especially in college, uh, the college that I went to, they had a lot of teaching and um, like human studies. And I kind of fell into the field and pathway of sociology and anthropology. Mm. Um, and from there, it kind of, there's, there's, there's a few different directions you could go after that. You could do, do research, or you could go into some clinical work or um, some macro level administrative stuff where you're kind of dealing with um, social services. So I, I dabbed into the social services and then I made a, a, a sharp right into the clinical field. <laughs> um, uh, and I liked it because it was an avenue where I could get more one-on-one um, -on -one with clients um, rather than dealing with an entire um, community. So, you know, you could kind of center yourself and be more impactful and see it. Mm -hmm. So one-on-one -on -one versus an entire community, what does that look like whenever you're working not one-on-one -on -one with a whole community? Are you doing like group therapy? Is that what that means? It would, it would mostly deal with um, working on uh, pretty much like if you're working like on policies, um, you're working on um, investigative aspects. Um, one, one field that I have in my background is working with child protection. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was one of the people working inside where you had to investigate abuse or neglect from parents. You know, you're dealing with the court aspect, um, placing the children out, you know, in a different home. Um, if, you know, if abuse and neglect is found there. Um, but, you know, when it comes to like what happens after that, you know, that wasn't my role before. And I always wonder, like, what mm -hmm. happens after that? How can we help restructure, you know, just because a parent abused and neglected their child, it, it may be a repairable situation with some, you know, rehab, some services, 
Um, and that's where I began to dive deeper into working with outpatient services, one-on-one, -on -one, group. Um, group will be more so more closer and intimate mm -hmm. um, than, you know, dealing with other stakeholders where it might be an agency. So um, we have one-on-ones, family, um, couples. So I was beginning to dive, dive into that realm. Okay, cool. So uh, give me a sense of the timeline then. You, you, you got into therapy, you told me, over a decade ago, mm -hmm. right? So how long were you doing um, the, the work that was before you got into the more intimate one-on-one? -on -one? Uh, 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah, so let's try to do this quick math. So <laughs> you're right, so it's almost 16 years. Nice. Right? So, um, so I started off working in a runaway shelter um, that's based out in... Um, in Times Square area. I oh. didn't even know that they had that that close. Neither did I. You know, um, but you know, it was for ages of 16 to 21 um, teens, and they were running away from all sorts of places. You know, outside of New York oh, as wow. well, and coming here. Um, and we would help them if they wanted to reunify. We would help them reunify with their family, um, and if they wanted to work on a long term independent living is what they called it, we would help them attain their own apartment, get a job, finish school, things of that nature. From there, I went into <laughs> working in the child protection as a frontline child protective, uh, CPS worker, child protective specialist. Um, I did that for about four years. Um, then I, that's when I graduated and became more clinical um, and then I transferred to the Department of Health where I worked with the population, the forensic population, a uh, fancy way to say people uh, who are incarcerated, right, yeah. in jail, in prison. And um, I was working in the jail. We were practicing DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, also known as Mindful Therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and it was supposed to be a very effective approach for people who struggled um, with just poor patterns of behaviors that led them into jail, and it was supposed to help reduce recidivism. Um, so, you know, it was very rewarding seeing people actually get released and st stayed out of trouble. Um, <clears throat> so I did that for a couple of years. Uh, my mother, I told my mother and father that, you know, they said they never want me to go to jail, but like, I, I, went, I made it to jail, yeah. you know, but at least I got... For good. It, yeah, <laughs> I did a couple years, but it wasn't because punitive, I worked yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but, and then from there, that's when I dived deeper into clinical social work, um, where I was providing that psychotherapy to individuals, families, couples. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about... Um, behavioral patterns and helping people to change those. I had a, a guest last week where we, we spoke about the patterns of the brain and how you can kind of retrain it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you can, with certain things, certain uh, practices, retrain your brain to have different patterns? Because, you know, there are some people who say, after someone's 25, they'll never change. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I think that it's true. You know, some people will not change mm -hmm. um, because the, the irony of it is it's up to that person's willingness to change. So it's not that they can't, it's just are they willing to? Mm. Um, and oftentimes when we're, we're in this comfortable space, 
it's not that it's the appropriate space or positive space, but if we're just comfortable in holding this characteristic, we're not willing to let it go to explore this other side of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we, when sometimes I, I, you know, oftentimes I have like discussions with older um, people um, in senior years and they're like, well, I'm this age and this is how I've been and I'm not changing for anything. Uh -huh. And <laughs> I totally understand them, uh -huh. you know, um, and it's, it's about that there's this um, buzzword that's been floating around, vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to change, I have to be willing to be vulnerable. And some people um, struggle with that, as they should, because we associate vulnerability with weakness, but it's not. It's just stepping out of our comfort zone, our homeostasis. Mm -hmm. And um, people can change if they want to. That's how I look at it. I like that. People mm -hmm. can change if they want to. All right. Um, I I have so many more questions for you, and I'm excited to get into it. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back after these messages. My father never stops moving, but after he had a brain aneurysm, he had a difficult time getting back to his normal routine. That's when I called Alliance Services. They paired him with Rosa. She developed a custom home care plan that helped him with his recovery. Rosa helped me gain my independence back. Alliance Services, helping older adults continue to live well and independent. Hey everyone, we're back on the GC360 podcast. I'm Erica. And if you have just joined us, I'm here with Conald Bernard. He's a licensed therapist and he's also a published author, which I want to talk about that too. So we've been having a really good conversation so far about therapy and mental health and how the brain works and, and also your background, which is very interesting. Um, you've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. So you do you, it sounds like you've worked a lot with youth. Would you say that's true more so, or do you work kind of with a range of age groups? Nowadays, I would say that I work with a range, mm -hmm. but I do have a lot of experience working with youth. Um, many youth that I work with um, were, you know, then this is after the child protection piece, um, were youth that struggled with ADHD, um, youth that struggle with oppositional defiance, um, and folks, the youth that had, you know, some form of trauma. Mm. Um, many times the youth that I work with, they were referred by their parents. Um, and uh, for many of the populations or clients that I get, I get a lot of African-American males. Mm -hmm. And um, they... The, the parents often bring them because they feel they hit a wall of communication. They could tell that there's something going on with their child, but they won't open up to them. Mm. So let me have a neutral person to kind of, you know, unpack with them. Um, and in the black community, is there's not too many people who go to therapy. There's still that stigma that's attached to therapy. You, there is. Okay, I was going to say, why Why do you think that? So there's still a yeah. stigma? Um, you know, going back to the vulnerability, some people view uh, mental health as uh, a weakness. 
you know, if I have to seek help, that means that I'm weak. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the stigma. Um, and um, even when it comes to the expectation, some people believe that their problem is not that serious to need any counseling. Um, so they minimize it. Um, in addition to the, the more equitable issue of the affordability of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't understand the dynamics of the cost until we need it. And then, you know, the provider says, well, the cost is going to be 150, 250, or that we don't take this insurance. And then it becomes a financial issue versus a mental issue. Um, so, you know, those are some issues that, you know, people face, especially in the black community around it. Yeah. Um, what do you think about generational trauma? Um, yeah, we could pass down trauma like a recipe, you know, um, and that, you know, even when it comes to physical health, some doctors would tell you that, you know, yes, the blood pressure runs in your family, diabetes runs in your family, but are you also looking at what you're eating? Mm -hmm. So now, um, I'm looking at how did my grandfather process his struggles? What did he hand down to my father who then handed down to me? So that's how that generational trauma gets passed down. And there's also that vicarious trauma where it's someone else is going through it, but because they're unpacking it to me, I feel like I'm going through it. Oh. You know? Um, but it is a real thing. Um, and that's where we want to kind of break some of those quote unquote gener- generational curses. Um, and when we put in our self work, um, and seeing a, a therapist or doing whatever it takes to make some quality of life changes to kind of pour in some positivity into our, into our family and generations mm-hmm. to go. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And speaking on that, I know that you said you have three children. Four. Four children. Three girls. Three girls. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So do you, I know that they're young, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah I have a, a two-year-old and I have a 14-year-old. Okay, I mean, yeah. that yeah. makes sense. Four kids, yeah. yeah. We're, my siblings and I are 11 years apart, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you doing anything as a father, but also with your knowledge about all of this mental health information that you have, are you doing anything um, specific with them to help them to maybe not have some of the trauma that you had or that your father had uh, or, or anything like that? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, being a, a therapist and then being a parent, you know, and you have to kind of switch between, between roles, mm-hmm. even with your own family, you know. Um, so when it comes to my children, <laughs> um, thankfully for my upbringing, you know, my parents did the best they can to give me a very healthy environment, the, as healthy as they can make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, when it comes to my children, I'm trying this, this saying my dad said, I want you to be where, use where I'm at as your baseline and be better. So I try to do that with my children. So I'm going to give them as much as I receive and better. Mm-hmm. I work a lot with them being um, working on their emotional intelligence, so just understanding how their mood, their mind, um, their thoughts correlate with each other, um, you know, and kind of putting the medicine in the candy 
um, where it's like, you know, after school when they come home, rather than talking about just how was your day, they're just going to say good and leave it at that. Yeah. But, you know, I find ways to kind of help them tell me more and to a point where they get comfortable in speaking about their emotions. Um, oftentimes they might get whiny, they might have a tantrum, um, teaching them ways for them to cool down, mm. you know, healthy ways to cool down. If you master that now, by the time you're a teenager and adult, you know, you're going to have this secured attachment, you know, there's, attachment comes from a theory in psychology where we talk about three types. We have a secured attachment, we have the, the anxious attachment and avoidant. Mm -hmm. And the secured, of course, is the more positive ones. You have those tools to kind of navigate through life, um, whether you face an obstacle or not. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think they're going to be perfect kids. You know, um, they're going to have to face the world <laughs> like everybody else does. But at least at home where they have the first image of the world, they at least see something healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all, all you can do as a parent is give them the tools to deal with what comes at them. Exactly. So what's something that you do with them? I know probably a lot of parents need help with this. Um, like you said, when you get home from school, how was your day? It was good mm -hmm. or fine. How do you get them to elaborate? So I might say, <laughs> so um, what did you do? You know, just, and they would share. Uh, we made, we made uh, some artwork or, mm. um, or, when it comes to what did you eat, mm. you know, and then we talk about so who was sitting at the table with you, you know, just trying to allow them to have some imagery on how things were for them in the day. They're probably not going to be willing, at least my younger ones are not willing to journal as right. much. Um, but for my oldest one, I do encourage her to journal her thoughts. Um, she's a teenager. So um, being comfortable in, in kind of writing things down it provides us, on a therapeutic level, it's like an MRI or X-ray for us in a sense where we can't truly look at what you're thinking about. Um, we can see what stimulates you and where, what part of the brain it's, it's attracting, <clears throat> but we don't know what's really going on. So mm -hmm. when we go to the doctor, we might have pain in our, our knee or on our leg. They have to do an X-ray or MRI to see if you have a hairline fracture, a torn ligament, things of that nature. Journaling allows you to really put the unconscious thoughts onto the paper because you're kind of just pouring out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always encourage my daughter to read back her journal as well. And we respect the privacy of a journal. Some parents, they, they sneak in a room and they're reading yeah. their kids' journal. So we respect <laughs> the privacy of the journal as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a big proponent of journaling, so mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that. Um, and speaking about your kids too and writing... You wrote a book. Yes, I did. And the inspiration was your son, exactly. which is cool. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the book. So this is a children's affirmation book. Um, it's called KJ. He's a reflection of me. Um, so KJ is Kanald Jr. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the book is, is there, well, the images itself um, were supposed to kind of give some affirmation. Right. So as we talked about it earlier, um, the black community doesn't truly have that many. We don't have the highest st statistics when it comes to participating in therapy. Mm -hmm. um, however, it doesn't mean that we don't partake in mental health. 
So the affirmations is, is basically an opportunity for us to build ourselves up. Um, so he's going to see an image of a young black boy doing positive things in that book. Mm -hmm. um, I utilize the ABCs to give it some educational aspect, and I use the ABCs to create those affirmations as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it was inspired for him. I only have one boy. I was able to get that boy, um, and I wanted to give him something, a legacy for him to inherit and embrace. Mm -hmm. um, I actually read it to his school um, during National Read Aloud Day, and they loved it. You oh, know? wow. And it, although, you know, um, I make mention that the main character is my son, um, is, is very diverse, um, where you could have all races read that book, um, especially for for the boys, they'll love it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they, they truly enjoyed it at the school. And I actually asked my local library to put it into circulation as well. That's so great. Mm -hmm. So words of affirmation, you think that that's a really helpful tool for young people? Yes, yes, because <clears throat> our self-esteem has to be built from, we don't, we're not born with it. Right. So how are we pouring into ourselves, um, you know, even as simple as when someone falls and it's like, you know, get up, you're, you're strong and, you know, you're going to make it. You know, that's an affirmation within itself. <laughs> but are we even identifying that that's an affirmation? So we mm -hmm. want to be very intentional for the children to understand how to pour into themselves. Because now I'm seeing it in the back end where many clients who are adults that are coming to me, they haven't built that self-confidence and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because it was absent during their early childhood. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. I actually teach acting to young kids here at the studio. And I think that that's, it's a way, a theater and acting is a way to build confidence. That's what I tell people. There's lots of ways to do it. And I think that you're right. I think you have to start young and build that up or else you're going to be paying for it later. Exactly. Because <clears throat> the affirmations has a three P's concept. You have to be present. It has to be personal, and it has to be positive. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's mm -hmm. great. Um, so there was something else that I uh, noticed about you with the different techniques that you use in your therapy. One of them that stuck out to me was that you use humor therapy. So I want to know a little bit more about that because it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds great, but I've never really heard of that as a term. Yeah. Yeah, so um, human therapy is pretty much an approach um, that we use, and it takes a lot of personality to, for someone to use that. So if, if you don't really have a funny bone, you're not going to be able to provide that approach. Um, and for those who know me personally, they know that I have a, a big sense of humor. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to laugh, and we know, you know, um, how powerful laughter could be for yeah. us, you know. Um, so it's pretty much just incorporating some, some opportunities of humor to exist in a therapy session, right? This helps someone um, unwind, mm. um, feel more comfortable. Um, it allows them to kind of decrease some stress levels that they may, may be facing entering the session. So um, many of my young teen clients, they love it, you know, because they want to, they, 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 they enter therapy thinking it's punitive because my mom or my dad or the school um, referred me for therapy. Um, but this is a safe space. Um, it could be a fun space. It could be a serious space. 
Um, but it all depends on what we want to work on. Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, and I know that you probably, uh, since the pandemic, nothing has been the same as it was before, obviously. Did you really see, I know that you had to work a lot from home, you said, but did you see a rise in people needing more help with their mental health? Did, did people, are people more open to coming to therapy now? Do you think since then, since that happened? I think that is a surge. Um, some people call it a trend, but it's not because this is, I think it's here and it's here to stay uh -huh. when it comes to mental health. Um, even like doing some research, I was looking at how how the numbers have been climbing on people who are engaging in therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's doubled since 2012. Wow. You know. That's big. You know, um, and, you know, we're, we're becoming more aware on the importance of mental health. Um, we are more in touch with our mood. Um, we are more in touch with our thoughts. Um, many, and now just something like this, having a podcast, allows people to share their testimonies mm -hmm. on how they got some control over their mental health and how it has changed and impacted their life. Because our mental health has to do with us actually getting up and getting to work, um, us um, taking care of our family. If that that piece is not stable, then the other parts fall, fall apart. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to make sure we tap into that. For providers, um, we need more providers. Yeah, okay. You know? um, so... Um, I've been, for those folks who are in my field but aren't doing clinical work, if they have conversations with me, I always push them to open up around that because there's a, a, a big need for that. And um, we, like, especially in the black community now, we're looking at it that there's only 4% of the therapists are black. Wow. And That's lower than I thought it would I didn't realize it was that low it was is extremely low yeah right? and for the most part even few of that four percent are black males mm -hmm. so now you know I'm <laughs> getting so many referrals and requests for young black males who are looking for young black um, mm -hmm. looking for black male therapists that it, it becomes overwhelming you know sure um, but there is a surge there um, but there's so many different platforms to find therapists now. And I even tell people, you don't have to find a therapist that looks like you. You just have to find a therapist that not only just knows what they're doing, but that works in the field that you want to work on. So if a person, if you're struggling with depression, finding a therapist that works with, you know, depression, um, anxiety, those are the two most common ones, depression mm -hmm. and anxiety. So you find someone who has that specialty and take it from there. Mm -hmm. So great. Um, now, before we before we sign off, I had one other thing I wanted to ask. Do you think that everybody needs therapy? Do you think that everybody should go? I think everyone should experience therapy at some point of their life. Um, I don't think that everybody needs therapy at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, I think that when we look at mental health, um, I always kind of utilize the comparison of a mental health clinician and uh, a physical trainer, right? Someone you might see in the gym training someone. You're going to see a lot of people in the gym. Mm -hmm. Not all of them have a trainer. 
Um, but the ones who do have a trainer, they have specific goals mm -hmm. and they probably are, are, are tackling those goals. Um, whereas there, if you take a survey and ask others, have they been trained before? They say, yeah, I was trained before. And they're probably utilizing those skills and tools that mm -hmm. they got from that trainer. So mental health is similar to that. Mm -hmm. At some point, yes, try it out, see how it is. Even if you feel that there's nothing to work on, there's always something to work on. Yeah. Um, and you know, th that, that provider will assist you in either reinforcing your tools or learning new tools. And that those are gonna help you pass that on. That's how you break those generational um, traumas. Mm -hmm. You know, now you feel more equipped to speak to someone. You feel more equipped to, you know, raise your child, um, your niece, your nephews, and you become a, a, a powerful mental health ambassador in your community. Mm-hmm, yeah. I. I think that that was very well said. That's that's very true. Um, Kenal, this was great. I love hearing you talk about all. The, I could ask you a thousand more questions. Probably we'd be here all day. Um, but thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. Uh, you have so much to to give to the community. So I'm glad that we're getting you out here. Um, now, first, if people want to check out the book, where can they find it? Is it on Amazon? Yes, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes & Nobles. The title is KJ. He's a reflection of me. Cool. And then if they want to get in touch with you, how do they look you up? Um, you can go to my website, kbcounselingservice.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at, at I am Kanald, K-E-N-A-L-D. Great. Awesome. Thank you again for being on the show. It was amazing speaking with you. And to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of GC360. This episode was sponsored by Alliance Services, and we will see you next time. My father never stops moving, but after he had a brain aneurysm, he had a difficult time getting back to his normal routine. That's when I called Alliance Services. They paired him with Rosa. She developed a custom home care plan that helped him with his recovery. Rosa helped me gain my independence back. Alliance Services, helping older adults continue to live well and independent.